Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. This is the first of its kind, very first of its kind. This is how we roll on winning at work. We're always pushing the envelope and trying something different. And today I've got Matt Kovacs. Matt actually was with me, oh, last year. He's the he's the president um, of Blaze PR, and he's based out in California. They've got a portfolio of natural and, and good for you lifestyle brands, really cool uh, PR firm helping you know brands get the message out and drive sales. And Matt and I had this uh, brilliant idea. Let's bring in uh, a friend, a client, a company, and let you run the podcast. <laughs> so you get the you get to the the benefit of being on a podcast and trying to run a podcast, sort of, right? Without having to do any of the the, the back end. And it's going well so far. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, we've just spent 20 minutes trying to start this podcast. So podcasting, I know it looks easy, it sounds simple, but there are some technical issues. Matt, so good to see you again today, sir. How are you? Doing great. No, excited to uh, speak to our friend Afif. Yeah. So why? So I, just out of curiosity, we were talking about you know bringing in uh, maybe a you know a client or a past client, someone that you had worked with that's in this space that's really kind of doing great things. Why did you land on Afif Ganome? What's uh, your rationale here? 
Well, I know, you know, obviously from a uh, backstory and, and having uh, interesting conversations on a podcast, I know that he would be, um, you know, first to raise his hand. And I think that they have a lot going on also uh, that, you know, I think dovetails nicely with what you do. Uh, and I thought it would be a good conversation on starter for, you know, the first one at the gate. <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the things that we do focus on is we are trying to uncover what makes a brand different, better and special. And of course, you're kind of working that angle too when you're you know running the the PR campaigns for for different clients nutritional you know gut health I know that's a space that's been around a while why don't you tell us a little bit more or maybe kind of introduce us to your friend Afif who has now joined us sure so um yeah I you know I think from uh, an interesting standpoint um you know Afif and is a biotech attorney by training and, you know, when he uh, started this company, you know, really reached out to us uh, and we had our first conversations. And I think, you know, his background of, of sort of that entrepreneur and that, uh, you know, hustle mentality is a way for, um, you know, I think a good way to tee it up and have him um, really explain what they've done. You know, it's, they've done multiple products, you know, and really looking at the, the microbiome and the gut, you know, overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got some friends who they, they swear by that, you know, they, they really look at that. So it'd be kind of interesting to see how they, they've done that. Afif, welcome in today, sir. Thanks for having me. It was like watching uh, Click and Clack solve, you know, a car talk issue with watching you guys get this podcast going on the technical side. Yeah, you you know, we appreciate you coming in hot because you've been sitting there ready to go. And uh, we're going to blame you. I mean, because we were on, we were ready. And, you know, we thought a biotech attorney would be able to figure out how to click a button. But we got you there. <laughs> I love it. Well, <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. So how did you get to know uh, Matt? How did that relationship open up for you, for you guys? So when we were launching in 2017, I knew that PR would probably be a, a real value add as part of a launch strategy, especially if we didn't have a huge budget. So I started Googling wellness PR firms and I reached out and you know, one of the things I, I loved about Matt was uh, we in, I, Matt, if I remember, we almost instantly had a phone call. Like, I think you just called yeah. me. Yeah, you but reached then, out. Yeah. Yeah. But then within a couple hours, you were like, hey, this uh, site, Nutra Ingredients, is interested in what you're doing. You should talk to them. So to me, I love that because, you know, we had barely sort of gotten introduced and he was already trying to figure out how he could, you know, connect us with someone um, in the press that might be interested in what we're up to. So, it was really literally, uh, you know, cold emailing Matt and going from there. And I had seen that they had worked on Kavita and some of the early probiotic beverage companies. So I thought, okay, at the very least, they understand this space. And this was still very early on in probiotics. So that's how we got connected. Yeah. And I think the other element, you know, that's interesting and why it clicked was, you know, obviously we had played in the probiotic space, but what you guys were doing and, and are still doing, you know, was so uh, different, innovative and because probiotics, you know, if, if you look again, early 2010s, if you will, uh, it was still that, you know, they make your tummy feel good. You know, you, you, there was so like, oh, just have some yogurt. You know, there wasn't this deep dive into the science. And that was where you guys led was coming at it from that point of view. And that was really intriguing for us when you looked at it from you're sort of turning it on its head and, and being able to approach it from a, a gut forward. Yeah, no, it's uh, so uh, probably my favorite Matt story. Let me take a step back. Anytime you, because people ask me all the time, okay, well, what what do you think of PR? Is it worth doing? How do you how do you look for a good PR firm? And Matt may kill me by saying this, but 
I say the same thing every time. Listen, any PR firm is going to have probably like 10 very, very strong media relationships. After that, they're cold calling and cold emailing like you are. So it really comes down to like, is there a true hustle factor? So Matt is really funny about, you know, how he'll get the attention of uh, uh, journalists for us. So the one story I always love is I told him like, look, TechCrunch, I think would be really good for us. They've done stuff with 23andMe, like really kind of a, a great outlet for us. So he's trying to get a hold of this one reporter and she wasn't really responding to you, right, Matt? Like she was kind of interested, but she wouldn't get back yeah. to you. And uh, he sent her uh, a, a dozen long stem roses uh, <laughs> themed frozen, like, like Elsa and Anna. And basically said, look, you know, if you think these are awesome, wait till you talk to buy them, like kind of tongue in cheek. And she thought it was kind of funny. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do the interview and got us in TechCrunch. So things like that, like that little sort of just figuring out how, out how to get the attention, that's not a given. You know what I mean? Like I, that, so that was one of the things I really liked about it. So that's what I would say is like, look, you, you gotta be working with a firm that's, you know, going to figure out how to get you to where you need to go. That's got the hustle. You've never sent me frozen. Uh, I know. I, I just made a note. I need to do that. I, and Afif, my favorite is I forgot that story. So that shows oh, really? you the elements. Yeah. And I think, but see, I think that's back to that point again, as, as we've worked again for so many years, I think the aspects of the, um, your brand and how you're scaling and growing again, to that point, I can remember you calling and, and, uh, again, it was probably you and, uh, you know, two people in a room, the size of, uh, you know, a postage stamp and now just the, um, the growth and the really acceptance. And I think the evolution, um, you know, in general, and, and even just, you know, the, um, you know, how you're able to scale and bring new and different people on, you know, obviously you just brought on the, the Sam, uh, from a president standpoint, but I think that's something that's interesting to look, um, from your past endeavors to really be growing this brand. Yeah. Look, anytime you're growing. So, so like the idea, a lot of times people say, oh, I have an idea for a business. Uh, you know, can I run it by you? Sure. Will you sign an NDA? <laughs> I'm like, listen, your idea is like 0.5% of the equation. Like people don't understand there's so much involved in scaling a business. So yeah, it's look to this day, like you saw our first office, it was like a single room and we were hoping to sell through our first thousand bottles. And now, you know, we do manufacturing in three different locations, um, you know, team all over the country. And that's something I had no experience in. So it's uh, it's every day you're, you know, learning something, raising money, all those kind of things. Well, you're definitely in the right place here on this podcast, because this is the kind of thing that we're trying to dig into and figure out how entrepreneurs are growing the business. So before we kind of dig into, I know Matt had some interesting insights he wanted to try to bring out of you, but give us all the you know, tell us about your brand, you know, what your, your mission or your purpose is, you know, behind the brand. And then secondly, maybe you just kind of walk us through your, your general business model. Yeah. So we're a microbiome innovation company. What that means is we have our own brands, uh, of products we sell, uh, direct to consumer retail, you know, Amazon, but, uh, the, uh, the largest growing part of our business is actually powering microbiome innovation for other companies. So helping companies, uh, we power microbiome tests for them. We uh, create probiotic ingredients that they put in their products. They white label our products. You know, our goal is to be the intel uh, within of uh, the microbiome. 
So that's that's at you know the ten thousand feet level, and um, you know so as far as the business model, it's a traditional you know consumer packaged goods model where you know we sell for a margin and and over time hopefully that that is uh, you know scaling and growing. But on the B two B side of the business, it's a combination of ingredient sales and then royalty sales where we're licensing our technologies to other companies. Yeah, I think that, and you you uh, dovetailed into it, but the um, the partnerships. I think that's been an interesting approach. We're seeing more and more of that, you know, especially from coming out of the pandemic of of brands needing to uh, again work that much uh, harder and and be you know connected. Talk talk to me too again how you explore these partnerships and what you've seen, you know, really as as them being able to help uh, you know funnel that growth. Yeah, so a couple things. One. Um, B2B partnerships only work if you have something that's truly innovative and protected from intellectual property standing. That's what we're seeing. But if you do, there there is an unquenchable thirst for innovation, especially in the wellness industry, right? So um, the trick, though, is getting to those people because especially when you're dealing with you know the Procter & Gamble's on down of the world, these people, there's just you got to know who to talk to. It's a long sales process. So one of the things we've done is we've built a pretty robust process for identifying these companies, reaching out to them, you know, following up. And um, it's really probably a 12 to 18 month process to get a partnership like that in place. Um, But the great thing about them is when you do, they're really sticky partnerships. Um, They can really scale very quickly. Um, I'll give you an example. We're doing a a, a project uh, in in one of the big uh, ingredient categories where we're going to be powering uh, one of our formulations to in, in, increase the performance or improve the performance of this ingredient. The partner we're we're working with, they sell twenty five thousand metric tons of this ingredient a year. So just think about that twenty five thousand metric tons, right? So as a brand, it would basically be impossible for us to ever hit those kind of ingredient levels. So that's the power of these partnerships is you're leveraging the platforms of, you know, sometimes global companies. So while it takes a long time, um, if you're able to get them, they're, they're very profitable. That's amazing. Just the size and the volume that would quadruple, you know, your company, I, I would assume, you know, when you get involved in something like that, what what about the like the regulations that you have to go through or FDA or the you know the uh, clinical trials with a company like that? That's probably why it takes twelve to eighteen months to get something like that set up. Yeah, great question. So in the dietary supplement world, you don't have to get pre approval for claims, but you're subject to FDA regulation. So you know that's a that's a very big part of the entire process. We have regulatory uh, experts internally. Uh, all these companies have enormous regulatory departments. So. That's honestly probably what takes the longest um, with those is just dealing with with all of, of what we call sort of the quality and regulatory st- part of the business. Yeah, that's probably something that people don't imagine right away. But I, what I do like is that you're you're creating an engine, and I've heard of other. Uh, this is, you know, on, on a tangent, but I've heard of other plant based organizations that are trying to create a an innovation platform, right? So they want to transform an industry and you're kind of taking that same approach and you're saying, we're going to provide 
you know, patented new technology, you know, and sell those ingredients to other companies to enhance their performance. Like they've already done the work, right? They've already educated the consumer. They've already got the brand name. So you're literally just making their brand better. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's it's part of it is as an entrepreneur understanding what you're really good at and what other people are really good at. So, for example, there's a company that we power their microbiome test standard process. So they're one of the largest practitioner brands in, in the country. So if we were trying to do that in the practitioner space, we'd have to um, start making a name for us, start going to conferences, like hopefully do webinars or a dozen people showed up. This is awesome. You know, when uh, we do webinars to educate standard processes, practitioner um, audience, sometimes there's a thousand people on these, on these webinars because they have an amazing platform in that vertical. You know what I mean? So um, for us, it's just very logical that we partner with someone like that because they are just masters of their distribution channel. So we want to stick to what we're really good at, which is uh, the microbiome innovation side. So that's, that's the way I look at it, right? Like if we wanted to break into, you know, um, Korea or something, you got to build out the infrastructure. You got to figure out, okay, well, how does this work with local customs? How do you, how do you market in that? Or we could go partner with a company in that, in that country, give our innovation to them because they've already got, you know, a, a large distribution platform there. So it's, it's things like that. That's the way we look at like, how can we rent someone else's uh, platform and, and vice versa, you know? Matt, I'm, I'm curious when you're working with a, a scientific, you know, innovation type of company, how do you approach PR? Because it, you are talking about something that's technical and you don't want to lose your audience. I'm kind of curious, how do you kind of thread that needle? Yeah, I think a lot of the um, aspects, you know, from from the overall team, it's, you know, the, the onboarding and the download that we do um, to really understand their goals and, you know, to be able to speak, you know, it's that little bit of uh, knowledge that we can be dangerous and be able to tee it up for media and finding those people, especially when you look at, you know, the microbiome and all the studies that Afif and uh, Dr. Gnome have done, um, you know, really being able to give those opportunities, you know, it's, there's so much information out there. And I think reporters and true journalists, you know, with a capital J, are looking for this, but it, you know, and many times it's it's harder for them to find because there is so much noise. And I think to that point is really connecting with them and giving them the opportunities to either, you know, to Afif's point, try the product, do the gut tests, understand, you know, really how the science works, and give them, uh, you know, the opportunities to speak with not only Afif but Dr. Gnome. So I think that's how we try and engage and have the understanding of of what the the brand can do, but also knowing that, you know, we're not scientists, but we can, uh, you know, sort of play one on uh, in the PR world and be able to <laughs> give that type of opportunity. And, and, you know, the team really, you know, embraces that. I think that's part of that aspect of, you know, having worked through some other brands in the category, understanding, you know, what's different about, you know, Biome at the end of the day. Afif, I'm, I'm curious because when I'm introducing a new brand or a brand has come to me and they want to send me samples so I can kind of check it out, if it's just a food or beverage, you know, it comes in a can, it's it's prepackaged, I can try it, you know, I can pretty much figure everything out. Now, sometimes I'll get things sent to me with adaptogens and other, you know, uh, nootropics, things like that. Sometimes it's kind of hard to tell, you know, it, is it having an effect? And I think it's got to be hard for some of those brands when they put those claims out there that the consumer feels something or, you know, they notice kind of what they're trying to get. 
totally being candid, I've never looked at gut health personally. So when you're sending samples to people, you know, what should they expect? How does that work? Is this like a quick turnaround? What's the kind of life cycle of something like that? Yeah, look, there's some products that are inherently trickier to demonstrate the value in the short term. If you're selling chocolate and someone's like, this is amazing, you know, or a protein bar, and they're like, oh, this tastes really good. It's kind of done for you, right? Because that's an easy, instant, you know, visceral reaction. Gut health, you're right. Um, you know, it can take sometimes a week to feel the results. One of the ways we we deal with that is uh, we'll sell a lot of powdered products that do taste good. So the visceral reaction is there, but that's, you know, that's kind of a challenge of anything in the supplement category is there's really nothing that's, you know, instant, like, like how do you show ashwagandha having an effect, right? In a sample, it's very difficult, right? So um, that's just an inherent challenge of the, uh, the category. What we find is a lot of people who come into the category they're interested, they're, they're dealing with digestive issues. So they're willing to give things a try. It's not the usual customer that's just, uh, you know, using probiotics like a multivitamin as part of like just feeling better and optimizing their daily routine. Got it. It's funny that you mentioned ashwagandha. That's one of the products that was sent to me. And I'm like, how do I know if I'm feeling more relaxed? You know, I don't know. How does it know? That's that's the age-old question. How does it know? <laughs> well, I- exactly. How does it know? And so uh, I think that's one of the challenges, I guess, of, of being in this space. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your business model because I find it it's fascinating. More and more entrepreneurs are doing more with less. In other words, they are using uh, third-party, like, of course, you've, you have Matt, right? He could be, you know, your third-party for your your PR. But beyond that, you've got co-packers, you can use uh, e-com, you can get things loaded up, you know, on Amazon, you don't necessarily have to build a staff, you can kind of leverage things. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit about like your infrastructure, how you're, how you're doing this, how you're growing, how you're scaling? And you have made some key hires. So talk about how and when to bring those people in and actually spend the money. Yeah, so there's People will take different approaches. Some people will, and, and, and part of this is is a luxury of if you're able to raise a lot of money up front. So some people will raise a lot of money up front and build a world-class infrastructure from day one. Uh, they want to have all the key hires. They want to have their own facilities. That's, I would say, unusual, but some people do do it, especially if they're, you know, they've already been successful and they have a track record and they just need the money and they want to execute. Um, I took kind of the opposite approach where we did everything, um, you know, kind of initial uh, bootstrap approach and really hired jack of all trades to get going and then outsourced a lot of things like public relations, you know, advertising, uh, fulfillment, things like that. As we've grown, we've started to bring a lot of those functions in-house, like quality team, supply chain team, and hire people that had significant industry experience because we're at that scale where it's useful to have, you know, uh, a head of supply chain that has deep industry relationships and knows five different companies that could provide us with, you know, an ingredient we're looking for. So um, the, the, the problem is, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, oh, I want to bootstrap. I don't want to raise money. And, um, you know, dealing 
with raising money is is a double-edged sword. If you want to do big things, it's very difficult to do it without having significant capital. And what do I mean by big things? Like if you're filing IP, if you're, you know, uh, buying inventory at scale, if you're advertising, these things are just not cheap to do, especially at, at first when it's really investment spending. Um, so, you know, for us, we, we did raise money up front. Um, but we, you know, raised sort of like a seed round and then progressively larger rounds. So that, you know, that's always been our approach. Yeah. I mean, you just can't, like you say, you, you just can't buy the inventory and scale up. Right. Right. The only time it ever works is when you have someone like a celebrity doing it because they have such a monolithic platform to start and it's not bulletproof. Like, not every celebrity is going to have a, a good product platform, but, you know, some, you know, some, some do. So, and I think to that point of Eve too, I, I think from, you know, being that entrepreneur spirit, I think that's a different element than some of the other, your, to your point of someone saying, Oh, I have a good idea. Cause I think, you know, it, that's part of the, the backstory for yourself, obviously is the amount of products and, you know, things you brought to market. Um, but I think that's the, the one thing that people always look to, or, you know, from, Hey, what do you do over and over again that, you know, that you'd recommend? I think that's an interesting part when people uh, meet you and be able to see that you've been able to do these things. Yeah, it's look, you, you build up some, you know, battle scars and, and uh, just understand what, where to invest early, where it's worth putting money in, where, uh, you know, like a, a simple one is trademarks. I, I see a lot of people that, just don't want to spend the money early on. And sometimes they come to regret it, you know? So even though it's whatever it is, 800 bucks, there are these little expenses that are cheap now, but could be very expensive uh, misses later. That's where you, you know, you, you really, the other thing I do is honestly, especially if you're a, an earlier entrepreneur, I'd, I'd really look to surround yourself with some advisors, like people that even if you have to pay them, you can, you know, get an hour of their time on a weekly basis, people who haven't just theorized about it, but actually done what you're trying to do. It, it saves so much time over time. Um, That's a great idea. And we've really not talked about bringing in advisors or frankly, a board of directors. Is that a direction you guys have gone in? Yeah. Yeah. We have a board of directors, but your board of directors, especially, you, you know, 99% of the time they're, they're investors in the business. They're not going to help you run your business, right? Like they're they're there to see you know progress of the business, uh, be there for major decisions, but you know day to day you tactically have to run your business. So um, most of the time, like I, I have a handful of real, ex really experienced industry veterans that I literally pay as advisors, and I have my list of issues I want to talk to them on a weekly basis. And it's been, you know, some of the cheapest money I've ever spent because these are people who've built hundred million dollar businesses that they know the pitfalls I might not be thinking of just because I haven't been through it before. You know, so I think sometimes people make the mistake of finding those people and trying to hire them to run their business. And that can be tricky because, you know, sometimes if someone's been very successful, they've already made their money. They're not really hyper motivated to do it again. Uh, other times the person who's leading, you know, a company that's had a successful exit, maybe they were delegating a lot, you know, so 
coming in and running a four person business is a lot different than running a successful hundred person business. So I found the best utility is I don't need them to run it. I, I just need to be able to pick their brain and then we can go execute on it. Does that make sense? Oh, that's, that's brilliant. I, gosh, I'm literally feeling like that for myself, you know, when I've talked to other small growing businesses and that's a great, uh, it's a great situation to be in. You're growing, you need, you know, you need ideas, you need direction instead of hiring someone, maybe from a larger organization, you just, you pay them as a consultant, you know, and, and kind of pick their brain for those key, key things you're trying to solve and set up and get your business running. And that lets you kind of leverage other people. And it kind of makes your company a little bit bigger because you're getting big company, real experience added. You have amazing relationships that they'll, you know, I've, I've always had, you know, you know, advisors that are more than willing to share their network um, things like that, they can get you to people that it might take you a year to get to. And they just like, Hey, Dave, want to introduce you to a fee. I think you guys have some interesting stuff to talk about, you know? And they're like, Oh, because you know, Mike, uh, vouch for you guys. I'm happy to do it. Right. And hopefully if we've been doing our job, they've already heard of us in the industry. And so, um, you know, so advisors can really, really cut down on significant, uh, effort and time to get to where you're trying to go. Uh, you mentioned that you have made some strategic hires. You've brought a president in. You've also uh, focused on, um, I think you said what supply chain quality. Um, where does sales and marketing fit into your strategic hiring? Is that something that you just kind of do yourself or is that something that you, you think you've got to go out and bring in? Yeah. So right now I do uh, essentially all of that on the B2B side. Part of the thing with what we're doing is it's very technical sale. You know what I mean? Like we're delving into a lot of the IP, um, a lot of the science. So uh, we will ultimately bring someone on to lead that role, but I, I run that you know day to day. That makes um, sense because it's so technical. You would spend more time trying to explain it to some, you know, yeah. to them. Just do it yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the time being, you know, ultimately, uh, and, and the beauty of this model, you don't need, it's not like Salesforce. Salesforce cannot last on 50 customers. They need thousands of customers, right? We could be a $100 million business with 10 customers. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's. Right. We're well, talking about that monster, you know, partnership you're developing the 25,000 metric tons, right? You get a couple of those, you know. Exactly. Uh, we're having this podcast from your yacht. Go ahead, Matt. So I, I figured, you know, I know Fief's time is very, um, you know, uh, precious to him. So uh, a fun thing I thought we could do is some rapid fires. Just throw some questions at a thief and uh, and then see how his mind works. So oh, fantastic! Fire away, one, Matt. Yeah, my favorite one that I think would be interesting to hear with a thief is what is uh, the best hundred dollars you spent recently and why. Uh, on the business? On anything. Just on anything. Uh, extra strength drone batteries. <laughs> I love drones and I just bought better batteries. All right. That's good. What's a trend that uh, excites you these days? Uh, everybody's saying this, but TikTok is really wild to watch how viral that is. It really feels like the early days of, of Facebook. But this time, unlike the early days of Facebook where we didn't know the advertising power, I think people already are anticipating it. So I think TikTok's really cool. What are uh, three things you do on a typical day? 
Uh, I walk with my kids first thing in the morning. I um, bang out my sort of hardest mental work first thing in the morning. And then uh, if I'm being truthful, I probably DoorDash Chick-fil-A. Nice. I like that. What, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, don't get so worked up. Everything ends up working out usually. <laughs> and uh, hire slow, fire very fast. And lastly, um, what is your favorite travel destination? I would have to say the Exumas and the Bahamas. Nice. That that painted the perfect Afif picture. I, I like that. Sand and drones. Awesome. I mean, I should have had breakfast because when I hear about Chick-fil-A, you don't have Chick-fil-A out there, do you, Matt? You're in California. Oh, of course we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that's a big takeover, a big uh, aspect. Yeah. They, but we have Raising Cane's as well. So it's a whole, you know, for, for nothing like gut health talking about different fried chickens. I didn't. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, you've got in and out. That's kind of my, my in and out as well, yeah. Well, and if it goes well, going back to gut health, it's in and then it's out, you know? So I had to. Sorry, guys. You, you went there. It only took us 30 minutes to get there. Cool. Dude, I appreciate the time. And I think this was good for the, um, again, you came in hot, but you, you ended very strong. I like that. Look, uh, I just, no matter what happens, I know, Matt, you in particular have a career, uh, you know, at the, the Genius Bar, whatever the, the, the Geek Squad, because... Well, uh, I'm, yeah, Best Buy Geek Squad is more my uh, speed, because you get to drive the van. I like it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, you sir. Matt, great. Great talking to you guys. 